He's a beacon of common sense, not reeking of Harvard men, not leaking the dollars spent, but speaking in layman's tense. He's on fleek and the people's president. Directbeats.com. The world ain't learning about that great candidate. First name Bernie, last name Sanders. He's Democrat branded by label only. Aristocratic, combatic, champion of a fable story. He's independent, no precedent set. Ain't president yet. On your mark, then get set. Black lives matter in foreign wars. But super PACs pack the cash in the coffers for. Backdoor dealing, Iraq war stealing. Goldman Sachs is healing, but taxpayers feeling. The brunt of the burden of bailing out backstabbers. The villain is vermin and the Unveiled anti batches the vermin be burning. Once Bernie takes office, he'll spurn the conservatives. Yearn to make all this doomsday fear mongering up and vanish. And the tools of sheer conquering that they brandish. It's a round robin tourney. Last man to stand is sound talking Bernie. First straight Sanders. Throw y'all on a gurney, lest you understand it. So Cal, the Jersey Revolution's on hand. It's free education for all who want one. And the realization that owning a shotgun ain't the same damn thing as getting to cock one. In the face of a black youth allegedly popped up at the mouth to a white cop raring to top off his list of hits on civilian populace the gist of this is getting really obnoxious but my fists is clenched and they waiting for raucous aptitude incident obviously caucasian invasion brown and black and red skins ain't be dividing us like the feds is with economic warfare they hurting the poor here no chances for advances up the ladders of forebearers supposedly promised to us in language iconic worms in congress dishonest Bernie use it as tonic to wrestle the restless and address all the chronic climate change deniers, international fires, and hacking through back heaven, you Chinese wires, anti-choice liars, pharmaceutical buyers, ain't no novelty in poverty, I'm asking you why are Americans who work 40 hours still poor, apparently you feel in at home to care for, your parents and children, you then told no more, democratic socialism opens the door for the right for healthcare, provider for all, and our plight and welfare not denied or ignored, you puritanical, fanatical, tyrannical wrecks, your kings on the checkerboard, but we're playing chess, mix in religious freedom for the likes of Kim Davis, then mix it for Muslims and call them Al-Qaeda's. America's morality's gone on hiatus, while Wall Street tobacco and big pharma players. There's only one play I want to see on the dais. The day has arrived for Bernie to save us, pave us the way for public-funded campaigns. Won't cave in vain to Monsanto brain grains. He'll rebuild the bridges and bridge all the gaps. Reduce all the funerals, bugle and taps. It's right now and surely with luck we'll land in the White House. Bernie fucking Sanders. Workers base wage. He's working to raise and separating this nation's church from its state. And that was Burning Curve by first-time rapper Monty Ver, which you can find on YouTube by searching for Macklin McLogie. M-A-C-K-L-E-N-M-A-K-H-L-O-G-H-I. At the end of the program, we'll hear the Bernie Sanders boogie. Greetings and welcome back to Bernie 2016. This is an independent podcast established to follow and comment on Bernie Sanders' candidacy for President of the United States. This podcast is completely independent of any candidate, party, or PAC. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. 2016. If you want to check out some back episodes and a few other links I've collected, you can find out more at bernie-2016.com. On that site, you will find a link to my Flipboard magazine where I collect articles 
on Bernie Sanders and his candidacy. And I have collected over 12,000 articles in that Flipboard magazine. So you can check that out. And also, I have an opportunity if you want to support this podcast directly. First of all, if you have any money to donate to anything, you should donate it to the Bernie Sanders campaign. If you have uh, maxed out your donation in the uh, nomination election, the primary election, um, at $2,700 max per individual, then you should look for a local organization that is supporting Bernie and share some of your extra money with them. And after that, if you still have any money left over and you want to help support this podcast, I have set up a Patreon and it is at patreon.com slash unrelated things, which is the name of my blog and my other podcast, which I have uh, put on hold temporarily while I am recording on a pretty regular schedule, my Bernie 2016 podcast. So if you do have um, any extra money after those other very, very worthy places to put it, and you need somewhere else to uh, get rid of some of that excess money, you can certainly share a little bit my way. You can go to bernie-2016.com, or you can go to patreon.com slash unrelated things to uh, become a patron. And I'd like to thank the three people so far that have left a review on iTunes for Bernie 2016. Really appreciate that feedback and hope to uh, get more of you to leave a review there as well. So on to the news. As uh, the last couple episodes occurred, I've been uh, kind of trending, having the time on Monday evenings lately to record this podcast. And those happen to be in the last three weeks now, um, the eve of some new primaries and caucuses. So I didn't get a chance to speak about last Tuesday's results before now. Um, The results overall were not what I had hoped they would be. I think Bernie had a chance to win Two of those contests with a potential to win a third would have been ideal for Sanders to come out of that with three wins. That is not how things went down. As widely expected, Hillary Clinton won Florida by a significant margin and also won uh, North Carolina and won the state of Ohio by some fairly significant margins as well. North Carolina was uh, expected to go Clinton's way um, by a by a strong margin. Bernie actually did reasonably well there, uh, over 40% or at 40%, and uh, with a margin of only about 14 or 15% between he and Hillary Clinton. The disappointing showing, the most disappointing showing for Bernie was in Ohio, where even though uh, Hillary had a pretty strong lead there in many of the polls, um, things seemed to be closing, and it was 
not entirely unexpected that that there was potential there for Bernie to come very, very close. And, you know, some of us thought even to uh, pull out a win in Ohio, like the surprising win he pulled out in Michigan. The other two states were split fairly evenly. Uh, Both of them, in the end, came down in Hillary's column. Um, Illinois was uh, under 2%. uh, I think it was about 1.4% margin between uh, Bernie and Hillary. And Missouri was incredibly close, as close as Iowa. Two-tenths of a percent of the vote was the margin between the winner, which ended up being Hillary Clinton, and the second place, uh, Bernie Sanders, in Missouri. Missouri uh, took uh, two days or more before it was called. Bernie conceded Missouri with a vote margin in the neighborhood of like 1,500. And from memory, I'm not 100% sure about this number, but I think there were somewhere in the neighborhood of like 600,000 votes cast in Missouri. And only 1,500 was roughly the uh, margin between the two. So it's just absolutely remarkable how close some of these races have been um, in a race in which, uh, you know, going into it, Bernie was unknown in the vast majority of the country. And all of the pundits and all of the media... uh, expected Hillary to run away with this uh, race and, you know, not have any major competition in the race. And there have now been, I think, five states that the margin between first and second place, maybe there's been six states. Uh, There's been five or six states anyway. The margin between first and second place was under 2%, which is pretty incredible that means if one percent of the winners voters had changed their mind it would have flipped the race to the other side uh the unfortunate part on all of these super close races is that hillary has won the majority of those she's won four of those and bernie has won one of those in Massachusetts. Uh, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't recall exactly what the margin was in Michigan. That may have been under 2% as well. And that may be the sixth state that I was uh, thinking about. So Bernie has perhaps won two out of the six um, incredibly close contests. And just, as I said, pretty remarkable that Bernie Sanders is you know, state after state um, coming in at a very, very near tie with uh, Hillary Clinton and all of her um, experience and all of her support from the media, all of her support from the establishment and her incredible name recognition. Of course, not every state is so close. Bernie has won now, I believe, nine states, and I don't know the number now that Hillary has won, but she did pick up those five more wins, 
in her column uh, last Tuesday. And I've got a couple articles that, that touch on some of the results. This first one is from 34justice.com. And this is by Ben Spielberg. Quote, the 2016 Democratic primary effectively ended Tuesday night with Hillary Clinton as the all but certain winner, the media has declared. Bernie Sanders needed some wins, they tell us. And quote, his path to the nomination is now essentially blocked. Since Clinton is over 300 pledged delegates up on Sanders, more than twice as many as Obama ever was on Clinton in 2008, the president of Clinton's super PAC insists that it's quote, all but mathematically impossible for Bernie Sanders to overtake her lead. The only problem with the media and Clinton campaign narratives, they're not true. That's not to say the results on Tuesday, March 15th, weren't disappointing for Sanders supporters who were hoping for a repeat of Sanders historic upset in Michigan a week before, but that result was always unlikely. Sanders wasn't actually predicted to win a single state on Super Tuesday, too. Sanders came close to meeting expectations in Ohio and exceeded them in Florida, Illinois, Missouri, and North Carolina. So based on what the expectations and the predictions were, Sanders did better than expected. Unfortunately, it... uh, While it was a tough night for Sanders in terms of pledged delegates, it was a pretty good night for Sanders relative to the projections. Not to mention the massive polling deficits he faced mere weeks ago. So there is a chart accompanying this, and the percentage point difference between Sanders' actual and predicted performance Sanders did three and a half points better than expected in Florida. He did six points better than expected in Illinois. He did just a fraction of a point, point six better than expected in Missouri. He did 10.8 points better than expected in North Carolina. And Ohio was the challenge. He did actually a little bit less uh, than expected there, down 2.8 percentage points to what was expected um, in Ohio. And the sources for that data are uh, 538, which is the polling uh, company that uh, Nate Silver is a part of. And uh, the New York Times Interactive also is a source of some of that data. Sanders also still has a clear albeit outside shot, at winning the Democratic nomination. We're only halfway through the primary calendar, and he is likely to do well in upcoming contests. Tuesday put him behind the targets he would need in one possible path to the nomination, but there are a number of large, delegate-rich states left, including New York and California, and a good run in the next round of primaries and caucuses would keep Sanders well within striking distance of Clinton. Again, winning the nomination is definitely a long shot for him. He'd need to pull off more Michigan-like upsets to do it. But if Sanders supporters keep donating, phone banking, and otherwise volunteering their time, it's also definitely still possible. So it is a challenging road ahead. Uh, Sanders needs to start to put together a string of wins, and he needs some pretty significant wins. Winning by a point or two 
in any state is not going to give him a delegate advantage with the um, division of the delegates proportionally. If you split a state 50-50, you're going to get half the delegates and your opponent is going to get half the delegates. So without some pretty significant wins, Sanders needs to win by 10 or 15 points on a regular basis in a number of states to start to chip away at Hillary Clinton's delegate lead. And the next piece is from truthout.org. And this is by the Daily Take Team, the Tom Hartman Program. Last night was pretty tough for Bernie Sanders. Hillary Clinton won four of the five primary contests at play in the latest Super Tuesday and leads in a fifth contest in Missouri that's still too close to call. And at this point, we, as I just stated, this uh, has been called and Bernie conceded. That Just a note. That result in Missouri by 1,500 votes was so close that Bernie could have, um, under state rules, requested a recount. And there's, you know, potential to go either way with a recount. He could have picked up votes. He could have ended up losing votes in a in a recount. He rightly, I believe, um, even though the the loss is uh, not not good for his campaign. I think that he rightly uh, determined that any recount would not significantly alter the outcome. Even if Bernie had won, even if Bernie won by, you know, a full percentage point after a recount, if he had won by, you know, 4,000, 5,000 votes, um, the split of the delegates would have been essentially the same. He may have picked up a delegate and the cost to the Missouri uh taxpayers and voters would have been significant. So I think Bernie rightly determined that it was a fight not worth fighting in that case. The the potential gains were very minimal in going through what would have been a, a probably somewhat long process of doing a full recount there. So on to back to the story. The mainstream the mainstream corporate media of course, have now declared the Democratic race for president over, and Hillary Clinton is now once again the inevitable nominee, and they couldn't be happier. This is probably the reason not one of the major networks covered Sanders' speech live last night. They're already writing him off as a cute but harmless afterthought. And this was actually uh, pretty widely covered in the um, people's media, you know, outside of the corporate media, all of the major networks on Tuesday night, last Tuesday night, after the voting and all, and the results came in and, uh, Hillary had won at that point. I think at that point, probably three of the five States had been called. Illinois probably hadn't yet been called. Um, and Bernie Sanders gave a speech in Arizona and, uh, while he was speaking live in Arizona, none of the major networks showed any of his speech, and they all instead, for a time, showed Donald Trump's empty podium while they waited for him to uh, come out and give his speech. Um, I think that it's uh, pretty outrageous, but also, unfortunately, 
uh, not unexpected at all that uh, the main corporate media outlets would choose uh, such a a path on such an important political night. Um, again, back to the story. Here's the thing. This race isn't over. Far from it. Sanders still has a path to the nomination, and a strong one at that. Over the next few weeks, the primary schedule shifts to the West and Upper Midwest, where Sanders had, has already had success and where he's favored to pick up even more victories. If Sanders manages to win by big margins in states like Wyoming or Wisconsin, he can whittle away at Clinton's delegate lead, which, despite what you might hear on the mainstream media, only grew by a net total of 57 delegates last night. But more importantly, success out West and in the Midwest could win Sanders some much-needed momentum and media coverage, which will mean a lot when voters in big states like Pennsylvania, New York, and California head to the polls later on in the year. What happens after that is anyone's guess, but in the wake of what happened last week in Michigan, when Sanders won the largest primary election upset in history, there's no reason to think the impossible couldn't happen again. The experts and pundits in the establishment media industrial complex have written Sanders off before, and they've been wrong about pretty much everything in this election, so we should take what they say with a gigantic grain of salt. Even so, Sanders could still end up losing this race. Even if he does win big in the West, he has to win really big, or at least not lose big, elsewhere to overcome Clinton's substantial pledged delegate and superdelegate leads. That superdelegate lead will be the hardest to overcome because superdelegates are the establishment and likely won't ditch Clinton, the ultimate establishment candidate, unless things go really badly for her. All this is to say that while Sanders supporters should ignore the, quote, conventional wisdom BS that Sanders can't win and that the race is over, they should also be prepared for the real possibility that he won't be the Democratic nominee for president. And they should be prepared because an electoral loss is not the end, not if a political revolution is what you're fighting for. It's only the beginning. So uh, I think some pretty important words there. Um, while Sanders still has a potential path to victory in this election, uh, there's still a enormous challenge for him to make that happen and for us to make that happen. Um, you know, does we should still continue to fight for it till the end, um, but also really start to think about and understand that if Sanders doesn't win the nomination, that doesn't end our political revolution. This is, this is the beginning. This is a, a boost to getting a whole lot of people, myself included, interested again in politics and involved. And if we stay involved even if we don't, uh, our victories don't come in the next couple of years, we can definitely establish a path to achieving some of our goals and some of our victories in the next 10 years. And uh, I think that's still a 
very, very worthy goal. The amount of support that Sanders has among the youth really uh, provides hope that, um, you know, in several years as they become a larger and larger segment of the voting population, that we can start to turn some of these corners and we can start to make an even bigger difference than we have been able to make so far. And I think all that's important to keep in mind, but none of that is yet critical to keep forefront in our minds. First of all, we need to uh, get this um, election back on track for a Sanders win. I think that will be the biggest boost to pushing that revolution forward faster. And the next story is from Reuters.com. This is at blogs.reuters.com by Chris Kahn. Who do Americans think would be the most trustworthy person to lead the nation's military? The answer may surprise you. According to a new Reuters Ipsos poll, the highest scoring candidate for the post is Democrat Bernie Sanders, who wins a total of 38% of those surveyed among Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. Hillary Clinton also beats out her Republican rivals, placing second with 31% overall. Among Democrats, Sanders and Clinton won roughly similar support within the poll's margin of error. 61% for Sanders, 57% for Clinton. Republicans, meanwhile, don't seem to be phased by the latest scuffles at Donald Trump's rallies, with a majority of, of polled party members still thinking frontrunner Trump would make the best head of the armed forces and, by implication, the next president. When Democrats and independents were added to the mix, a smaller total of 26% overall supported Trump leading the armed forces. So that's encouraging. I mean, obviously, Democrats are are not going to be supportive of Trump. But with the Democrats and the independents, you know, both added in, uh, Trump's numbers um, shrank from where they were for uh, when just the Republicans were uh, were asked that question. So um, really some I, I would say a turnaround for how the voters view Bernie Sanders. I think that if you go back, even go back about two months, I think you would be hard to find any polls that uh, put Bernie Sanders at the top of the list of candidates who voters thought would make a, a great or the best commander in chief. And especially among the Democrats, I think that there were probably very, very few polls, if any polls, um, out, you know, a month or two ago or earlier, that the Democrats would have supported Bernie Sanders or, or stated that they felt Bernie Sanders would make a stronger commander in chief than Hillary Clinton. So um, a, a pretty strong and uh, I think pretty important turn in the opinion of the voters. And this uh, from CNN.com, and this story was just out today. Bernie Sanders actually won a primary today. 
this is story is by Robert Yoon, Y-O-O-N. This is from CNN. Bernie Sanders has won the Democrats abroad presidential primary, defeating former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton 69% to 31%. The organization announced on Monday, Sanders received 23,779 votes from American Democrats living in more than 170 countries. Clinton received 10,689 votes. He picked up an additional nine delegates compared to four for Clinton. The contest marks the Vermont Senator's 10th win so far this campaign season and his first victory since winning the Michigan primary on March 8. The nearly 35,000 votes cast in the global primary exceeds the 23,000 votes cast in the 2008 primary when Barack Obama defeated Clinton 66% to 33%. So another win in the Sanders column where he picked up the Democrats abroad primary and picked up nine more delegates, uh, Hillary Clinton picking up four delegates with her 31% of that vote. So what's coming up? As I said, it is the eve of some new primaries and caucuses. There are three states that vote tomorrow. Um, The three states are Arizona, Idaho, and Utah, all voting tomorrow. Um, Right now, it's looking good for Bernie in two out of the three of those states. Idaho and Utah both look like uh, strong opportunities for Bernie to win, with Arizona looking much more challenging. Bernie has been... Touring the West, he has, on Friday, he was in Salt Lake City. Um, Over the weekend, he was in Vancouver, Washington. And other locations that I can't recall at the moment. He had a a, uh, crowd of 14,000 people in Salt Lake City. Huge crowd in Salt Lake City. And then he went up to Vancouver, Washington on Sunday, and I've seen a very wide variety of numbers, anywhere from a low of 17,000, which I think is too low, to an estimate of 20 to 30,000 at the center in Vancouver. And I think those numbers are probably more reasonable. That's a very wide span, though. Uh, because a huge number of people could not get in to the arena to see Bernie Sanders. So as usual, he spoke to a big overflow crowd outside before he uh, went in and spoke to the um, packed arena inside. And today, Bernie Sanders went back to Salt Lake City and is having another rally there. He has been to Arizona in the last five days, six days, uh, a couple of times, a couple of different places there. Um, He is every day in another city, in another event, or actually more like another three events, uh, in another three cities um, every day. He is everywhere. He's trying to uh, get the word out, get his... um, 
platform known to more people. You know, he's he's just still attracting these enormous crowds that he was attracting last fall. And people thought, you know, that probably would not necessarily last. Uh, and it certainly has um, huge, huge crowds still coming out to see Bernie Sanders in most of the places that he goes to visit. So this next story is from politicalpeopleblog.com. And see, I don't see a specific author for this one. Uh, According to polling expert Nate Silver, Bernie Sanders is likely to win all of the upcoming eight states in the race to become the Democratic nominee. Silver boasts a long record of accurate predictions, which includes successfully calling the outcomes in 49 of the 50 states in the 2008 U.S. presidential election, for example. As a result of that particular achievement, he was named one of the world's 100 most influential people by time in 2009. Currently working at polling organization 538, Silver has done a remarkable job of predicting state by state who will win in both the Democratic and Republican fields during this election cycle. His credibility took a blow, however, following a win for the rising Democratic candidate Bernie Sanders in the state of Michigan. Silver and his polling organization claim that Sanders' opponent, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, had a greater than 99% chance of winning the Michigan primary when in fact Bernie Sanders won the state by 2%. After that upset, Silver went back through the records and found that only one primary, the 1984 Democratic one in New Hampshire, was on the same scale as a historical Sanders win in Michigan. The whole polling game changed that day, proclaimed many experts in the period that followed the primary. Silver decided to create an entirely different model and formula for predicting the primaries, one which incorporated demographic factors much more. Using his new method of predicting, Silver would have been able to predict the Michigan caucus far more accurately, as he explains. Quote, Our demographic retrodiction for Michigan still has Clinton winning, but only barely by three percentage points compared with the actual two-point win for Sanders. Especially under the Democratic's proportional allocation method, that's a pretty minor difference. The difference is even more minor when you incorporate the fact that most polling companies in the run-up to Michigan had Sanders losing to Clinton by almost 20%. It is critical to the Sanders campaign that they finally begin to enter a period of sustained victories if they are to clinch the nomination. Now, however, following a change in Silver's prediction system, it seems that It seems as though Sanders is on track to achieve just that. While Clinton tends to do better in more conservative regions, such as the Deep South, there aren't many of those locations left. The next eight states to engage in the Democratic nominating process are Arizona, Idaho, Alaska, Hawaii, Washington, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. Silver feels that Sanders has a shot at winning all of them. In Idaho, Nate Silver says that Bernie Sanders has a 75% chance of winning. Similarly, in Utah, 
he has an even greater chance of winning at 82%. In Alaska, Sanders is almost certain to win with a 91% chance. Hawaii and Washington are the next two states after that, and according to Silver's mathematical analysis, Bernie has an 81 and an 85% chance of winning. Finally, in Wisconsin, Bernie has a 61% chance of winning, and in Wyoming, he has an 81% chance of winning. The only state that I have omitted so far is Arizona, which is on the same date as the Idaho and Utah primaries, which is, for me recording it, recording this on Monday night, is tomorrow. In Arizona, according to Nate Silver's prediction, Bernie Sanders has a 40% chance of winning. These predictions, however, were made a couple of weeks ago before Sanders held multiple rallies in the state, before he invested over $1.5 million in ads, and before polls emerged, showing Sanders rapidly closing the gap. The incorporation of all these influences means that Sanders has a far better chance of winning Arizona now than he did when Silver's predictions were made. And... What I know about Arizona, which is not a heck of a lot, um, Arizona, I think demographically, has some similarities with Florida. Arizona is a state where a lot of people go to retire. And so there is likely a much larger or higher than average uh, population of older people in the state of Arizona. As we know from the demographics so far, Hillary Clinton does extremely well with people over 45 and does even better with people over the age of 60. So I think that uh, there is a lot of uh, good reason to believe that while Sanders may be closing the gap in Arizona and would be absolutely amazing if he could close that gap and, and do in Arizona what he did in Nevada and come within a couple percentage points of the win there. I think he was down only 4% in Nevada. Um, it would be absolutely amazing if he could close the gap that much. But Arizona of the next several contests is definitely a place where Hillary Clinton probably should end up with uh, some pretty strong results. So back to the article. With the exception, perhaps, of Arizona, Bernie Sanders looks set to enter a period of successive wins in very important states. Last week, the Sanders campaign claimed that Clinton's best days are now behind us, and according to polling experts such as Nate Silver, it seems as though they were right. Sanders fans will hope that winning all of the upcoming eight states would provide Bernie with sufficient momentum to enable him to win bigger states in the future, such as California and New York. And that is really, really important for the campaign. It's a huge task to win eight of the next nine states um, based on, you know, where we've we've come so far um, with Hillary winning more often than Bernie winning for Bernie to win eight of the next nine would be almost unprecedented, but there is uh, certainly hope that uh, he will be able to do that. And even more important than hope, there is all of our actions. Um, everyone in those States or everyone who knows anyone in those States or everyone who has a telephone 
has the opportunity to reach out and impact the uh, results in all of those upcoming states. Um, so I definitely encourage you all out there to do what you can, no matter where you are. Obviously, if you're in one of these states coming up, do everything you can to get out and vote and get your friends, your neighbors, your family, your enemies, strangers on the street to get out there and vote as well. With really, really big voter turnout, we know that we can win for Bernie. So uh, let's make it happen. And this next story is from the DailyBeast.com. Democratic presidential hopeful Bernie Sanders outraised and outspent rival Hillary Clinton during the month of February, according to campaign finance data set to be filed on Sunday. The Vermont senator raised more than Clinton for the second month in a row, bringing in $43.5 million dollars compared with her $30.1 million. I think that's huge. $13.4 million more that Bernie Sanders brought in in the month of February than Hillary Clinton brought in. Hillary Clinton is a fundraising machine. Hillary Clinton, I think probably at this point in the campaign, Hillary Clinton had as many, has had as many fundraising events as she has had public events um, for voters to come out and hear her speak. And that's conjecture on my part. And I could be proven wrong with uh, actual facts, but from everything I've seen and heard, the number of fundraising events that Hillary Clinton has is staggering. It's like, I don't know how she fits in as many fundraising events as she does. So for Bernie Sanders in for the second month in a row to, you know, bring in 43.5 million when, when Hillary's bringing in 30.1 million, it's absolutely phenomenal. And here's the other side of the coin in an effort to catch up with the former secretary of state, Sanders burned through 40.9 million compared to her 34.9. 3 million in spending. So those are really, really important numbers as well. Um, Sanders raised 43.5 million. He spent just a hair under $41 million. So he spent almost everything he raised in the month of February. He is coming from a place where he is way behind in many polls where he, his name recognition is still you know, a fraction, a much larger fraction than it used to be, but it's still a fraction of Hillary Clinton's. There are like two or 3% of the voters out there who don't know much about Hillary Clinton. And there is a much, much larger number of the voters who don't really know very much about Bernie Sanders. So he has to do a whole lot more to get name recognition and to get people to just know who he is and know what he stands for. So it's not a surprise to me that uh, he is spending more money 
than Hillary Clinton. Um, what's a bit surprising to me is that she spent $34.3 million in February and she raised $30.1 million. So she spent about $4.2 million more than she raised in February. That's not going to harm her too much. Uh, she still has a, a bunch of money in the bank. Um, Bernie Sanders has about $17.2 million on hand as of when these numbers were reviewed. And Clinton had $30.8 million on hand. And actually, that was uh, those were the numbers as March began. So we're halfway through the month now. So these numbers certainly are, are not uh, extremely recent, but really show the extent to which people are chipping in, you know, average $27 a donation. And uh, supporting Bernie Sanders with the financial support to keep him going in this race. Overall, these numbers were the ones that really kind of blew me away. Overall, in this election, Bernie Sanders has raised just under $140 million. And Clinton has raised just under $161 million. It blows my mind that the fundraising of Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton are so close. Only a a $20 million, $21 million uh, spread between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. And Bernie outraised her last month by $13 million. Two more months like that, Bernie will raise more money than Hillary Clinton. That is insane for me to think about. With all of the connections... And all of the fundraising events that Hillary Clinton has for Bernie Sanders to be, you know, nearing uh, break even in fundraising total with Hillary Clinton and to be able to in a month or two surpass Hillary Clinton's fundraising total. That absolutely boggles my mind. That, of course, doesn't include Hillary Clinton's PACs, which raise tens of million dollars more. I haven't been keeping up with their numbers, but I'm sure they're in the the $50 million plus neighborhood at this point. Um, you know, it's big money in politics. It's what the Clintons do. It's it's why Bernie Sanders fundraising total absolutely boggles my mind. It's amazing because you donated, I donated, and 5 million other donations came in as well uh, to the Bernie Sanders campaign. Over 2 million individuals have donated. Hillary Clinton just a f- couple of weeks ago passed the 1 million, um, 1 million individuals mark for donors to her campaign. And it's just absolutely incredible that Bernie Sanders has been able to fundraise enough to make himself competitive in this race. It was probably his biggest challenge. His ideas were not his biggest challenge. His ideas are his biggest strength. And the more people that hear about him, the more people that hear from him, the more support he gets. It was always his biggest challenge that he would come out and he would run and he would not have the financial support to really compete in the media markets that take tens of millions of dollars 
to really get your message out in these really widespread, large media markets. So absolutely incredible fundraising that keep, that's helping to keep Bernie in this race. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about the other side. And I don't like to focus a whole lot, although, of course, it's a it's an election um, with only two main challengers on the Democratic side at the moment. So you're obviously when you're talking about uh, supporting Bernie, you're going to be comparative between Bernie and Hillary, as as my last piece just was with the fundraising. But. Here's a couple of stories that are very related. So the first is a tweet that Bernie sent out. And here's how it reads. I think it's very important that you read what the Washington Post wrote yesterday about Hillary Clinton's distortions. Quote, but it is striking that as Clinton has doubled down on the attacks, she has with some regularity played pretty fast and loose with the facts. She'll take a vote Sanders has made during his 25 years in Congress and gloss over most, if not all, of the details about it. The result is a carefully worded insinuation or even outright accusation that Sanders has voted against his base on everything from immigration to the auto bailout to fossil fuels. And I've talked about some of those stories directly in the past. And I think that it's a, a really, really important quote because it is exactly how Hillary is running the attack portion of her campaign against Bernie Sanders, being extremely selective about details and saying that because a particular uh, element was in a bill that Bernie Sanders therefore voted for that or against that specific thing while ignoring everything else in the bill. A, a great example was when Hillary Clinton said that Bernie Sanders voted for the uh, Minutemen militia who were armed vigilantes who went to uh, protect and patrol the U.S.-Mexican border to um, find some immigrants trying to uh, sneak across and there was legislation and the legislation was supported by people who supported that group but that legislation didn't specifically call out that particular group though it was certainly intended as support for them but that legislation specifically said the u.s government is forbidden to share information with a foreign government over movements of U.S. citizens. So framed in that way, the particular piece of legislation was protecting information about U.S. citizens from being shared abroad. I think that it was in isolation, not an onerous piece of legislation but because it was supported and it certainly was by people who supported that minuteman group and it was put forward ostensibly on their behalf even though it wasn't specific to them uh it could certainly be viewed as someone who 
wasn't standing up against that group. Um, despite the fact that Bernie Sanders did vote for that and, and a number of other people did, uh, that never made it into the bill. That was an amendment that uh, was defeated. It never became part of the final legislation. So it is kind of a moot point at this point, but it is fodder for the uh, swift boat tactics. And if you don't remember John Kerry's race, and I don't remember it enough to say off the top of my head who he was running against, um, but the uh, it must have been against Bush one. Sorry, up against Bush too. Um, there were independent, quote unquote, independent, and I'll talk about that a little more in a minute. Um, groups that, uh, in fact, it was called the Swift Boat Veterans for Justice or for Truth or something along those lines, that basically smeared John Kerry's military record in Vietnam, and. Uh, effectively did and it's something that uh i think a lot of people heard and i think it was as far as the media portion of that race went it was a pivotal pivotal moment it was a memorable moment um it is been turned into a verb um when you attack your opponent in this kind of narrow underhanded way it is known these days as swift boating and that's uh where it came from so uh hillary has her swift boat platoon there are people directly and indirectly connected with her campaign that have set up these blogs that may appear to be independent and Certainly, I don't know of all the ties behind the scenes, so these certainly could be independent, though I feel, based on the content of these blogs, they are very nominally independent, if they're independent at all. One of these blogs is actually partly owned by the manager of Hillary Clinton's super PAC, uh, and that is David Brock. And David Brock has a super dirty history. I think I've talked about it a little bit before. He was um, a one of the, I will say one of the few, one of the most outspoken and well-known attackers of Anita Hill when Anita Hill uh, kind of came forward under um, the Clarence Thomas uh Supreme Court nomination and those um, the Supreme Court uh, or the, or the Senate hearings, sorry, on that Supreme Court nomination, Anita Hill came forward and said she was harassed by Clarence Thomas and David Brock uh, smeared her in the media and wrote a book. I believe it was called the real Anita Hill. Um, he later uh, attacked Bill Clinton and his affairs and personal life. And now he's in, on Hillary Clinton's campaign. It's kind of strange, the, uh, the, the, the bedfellows that 
a powerful political family gets involved with. Um, but uh, moving forward, there are at least three of these blogs that very consistently attack Bernie Sanders in a variety of ways. And the stories they post are all extremely slanted. The um, information they share are very one-sided. They take these little little nuggets of truth that um, are out there and they twist them in very bizarre ways. And here is one. So one is called Daily News Bin, dailynewsbin.com. I don't know the origins of this site. I don't know when it started. I don't know if it ever had a, and I presume if it started a while back, it certainly at some point had a uh, different mission. But what it appears to uh, be the mission of the Daily News Bin now is to what uh, Hillary Clinton would call artfully smear Bernie Sanders. Here's an example. Here's a piece from March 10th. And I don't know if this particular one has an author. Some of these posts do have authors. Some do not. But uh, here's something. Here's a typical story. Bernie Sanders sinking in the Democratic primary race and now 1.7 million popular votes behind rival Hillary Clinton has settled on his last-ditch effort at getting back into the game. He's insinuating that Clinton can't be trusted and has something to hide because she gave speeches sponsored by Wall Street entities like Goldman Sachs. Quote, release the transcripts, he now routinely demands. One little problem. Sanders just gave a speech sponsored by Bank of America and Liberty Mutual. Mutual. Will he release his will he release his transcripts? The Bernie Sanders speech took place on Friday, February 5th of this year in New Hampshire. The quote program sponsors for the event, which is a fancy way of listing the corporate entities that forked over money, includes no less than five of the multi-billion dollar corporate entities that Sanders routinely blames for all of the nation's ills while insisting that he hasn't taken money from. The list includes Bank of America, Comcast, Fidelity Investments, Liberty Mutual, and Lincoln Financial Group. It's a who's who of the Wall Street entities that Bernie routinely professes to hate. They're the same kind of entities to whom Clinton was speaking while she held no political office. But Bernie gave his corporate speech while he was a sitting senator. His speech to these groups was almost certainly harmless, but as long as he's accusing his opponents of having something to hide by giving similar speeches, he'd do well to release the transcripts of his own speeches. So this is the kind of BS that uh, these Hillary Swift boat brigade sites put out. And that doesn't mean that I think every site that puts out a critical piece on Bernie Sanders has these kind of ties or links or agenda versus Bernie. Many people don't like Bernie for many reasons. And anybody on a blog out there that wants to express the reasons why I have absolutely no 
problem with that as long as I think they're they're based in in facts and in reality. This takes a particular event and twists it so hard and so far it's absolutely unrecognizable. If anyone came across that story that I just read and didn't know very much about Bernie Sanders, they they could easily be swayed that he's just another politician. He's no different. He's doing the same kind of things that he's accusing the other other politicians of doing. It's it's a a brilliant artful smear. It's a intentional slight on Bernie Sanders' strength as someone who has the integrity, someone who stands up to the big businesses, and uh, it's it's what these sites are doing and I think thinly veiled as part of the Hillary Clinton campaign. Before I go on a little bit further, I just want to take a look here for the other two sites because I did say there's three sites that very regularly publish this type of distorted information. Um, One is... Uh, Daily News Bin, that's the one that that piece was from. One is called The People's View at thepeoplesview.net. And the other one is Blue Nation Review. Blue Nation Review is the one that I see much more frequently retweeted by Hillary Clinton supporters. Uh, Blue Nation Review is the one that is at least partly owned by uh, David Brock and who who so it's essentially that one has the strongest connection that I know of to Hillary Clinton's campaign that is as far as I'm concerned it's just an arm it's just a mouthpiece for Hillary Clinton's campaign and the daily news bin and the people's view.net appear to be very very similar and I wouldn't be surprised at all if somewhere behind the scenes there are some pretty strong connections to Hillary's campaign So if we uh, take a look again back at the story. So after they published that story, the site itself actually had to publish an update, which I'm a bit surprised they did. But uh, they did publish an update, a small paragraph at the end. Update. Our intrepid readers have hunted down a video of the speech in question. As we predicted, the speech is harmless in nature. And yes, it was sponsored by the groups we said it was. Those questioning why we made a big deal out of wanting to know what Bernie Sanders said in his speech might want to ask him why he's doing the same about Hillary Clinton's almost certainly harmless speeches. And then they have a link to the video. And their characterization of this event is so far away from reality. It would be laughable if it wasn't so serious, if some, if this kind of crap didn't influence people um, in believing falsely uh, that Bernie Sanders is not who he claims to be and that he's somehow no different than any other politician. So one additional story on this piece, and this is from snopes.com if you're not familiar with snopes snopes is a 
website that fact checks all kinds of claims that are made online and uh, kind of rules on whether they are accurate, partially accurate, not accurate. And this is by Kim LaCapria on Snopes.com. It's called Politics and Negs. A misleading web rumor claimed Bernie Sanders gave the same sort of highly compensated speeches to Wall Street, for which he criticized Hillary Clinton. Claim. Bernie Sanders has not released the transcripts for speeches he gave to major financial institutions, despite calling on Hillary Clinton to do so. False. Example. The Daily News bin reported that Bernie Sanders made a speech sponsored by the Bank of America and Liberty Mutual on February 5, 2016 in New Hampshire. Is this true? It would have been nice if the article had included what the program actually was. There is a humongous difference between sponsoring a program that someone happens to be speaking at and inviting them to speak at your business for $250,000. And that is without touching on how poorly written the article is. Origin. On 10 March, the website Daily News Bin published an article claiming that Bernie Sanders, quote, gave a speech to Bank of America and asked when he would, quote, release the transcripts. And there's a significant quote from the article that I just read. Uh... The Clinton speeches were controversial before Sanders announced his intent to enter the presidential race. Clinton also gave, and this is a quote, Clinton also gave speeches at four financial institu institutions that netted the foundation somewhere between $1 million and $2 million. The revelation that Clinton Foundation was paid hundreds of thousands of dollars by organizations like Goldman Sachs and Citigroup could help to muddy the populist image she has been trying to strike on the campaign trail. And by February 19th, Clinton's speeches became a frequent point of campaign debate. Clinton said that she would release the transcripts for those speeches when all other candidates did the same. And the Sanders campaign subsequently issued the following statement. Quote, Senator Sanders accepts Clinton's challenge. He will release all of the transcripts of all of his Wall Street speeches. That's easy. The fact is there weren't any. Bernie gave no speeches to Wall Street firms. He wasn't paid anything. While Secretary Clinton made millions, including $675,000 for three paid speeches to Goldman Sachs. And the event that Daily Newsbin characterized as a speech to Bank of America, that event is called Politics and Eggs. It is a very well-known event in New Hampshire and especially during the primary races in New Hampshire. It's sponsored by the New England Council, described on its website as a nonpartisan alliance of businesses, academic and health institutions, and public and private organizations throughout New England, formed to promote economic growth and a high quality of life in the New England region. The site provides a lengthy history and context for Politics in Eggs events. Taking advantage of New England's unique position as home to the nation's first presidential primary in New Hampshire, the Politics and Eggs series was launched in 1996 as a forum for local business leaders to hear from presidential candidates in an intimate setting as they visit the Granite State to campaign and build early support. 
Since its inception, the Breakfast Series has played host to nearly every major party presidential candidate and is today considered a, quote, must stop on the presidential campaign trail. In fact, Politics and Eggs made a cameo appearance in NBC's hit show The West Wing, with candidates autographing the series' signature, Wooden Eggs. In recent years, the series has expanded to include issues forums held in the years between presidential election cycles. Politics and Eggs is a partnership between the New England Council and the New Hampshire Institute of Politics and Personal and Political Library at St. Anselm College. Events held either on the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire, or at the Bedford Village Inn in Bedford, New Hampshire. So not only did they totally mischaracterize the nature of this event that Bernie Sanders gave a speech at, which they claimed was to Bank of America and other multinational corporations, Hillary Clinton also gave a speech at the same event. This is unbelievable twisting of reality to smear Bernie Sanders and boost Hillary Clinton. And while there could be some independent entities out there that uh, want to do that, I find it hard to believe that the consistency of the orchestrated attacks on Bernie from these particular sites are not in any way uh, guided or influenced by the Hillary Clinton campaign. So um, just to be absolutely unequivocally clear, Bernie Sanders has not given paid speeches to any major corporate interests. He's given, I think, three paid events and has released the transcripts of all of those events that transcripts exist for. And I'm not sure they're written transcripts for the majority of those events. I know that at least two of the three events were recorded and those videos are available. And I don't know for certain about the third one. Um, but I guess, you know, when it comes down to it, well-run uh, political campaigns do opposition research, opposition research. They probe and prod and study the weaknesses of their opponents. And then, you know, they often produce uh, attack ads or smear campaigns against those opponents. And uh, Hillary Clinton has a very, very strong team in opposition research. And uh, basically, if you hear something that you think is unlikely or uncertain, dig in and uh, find the truth, find the details. Enough about that. And on to some more positive news about Bernie Sanders. Uh, this from usuncut.com. At a packed rally in Flagstaff, Arizona, Bernie Sanders delivered a passionate speech calling for rights to be restored to Native Americans and indigenous peoples across America. 
Sanders spoke to several thousand supporters gathered outside of Flagstaff in the heart of Navajo country. According to the Associated Press, Sanders deviated from his traditional stump speech, in which he normally calls for tuition-free college, universal health care as a human right, and a $15 an hour minimum wage. To specifically address centuries of injustices the U.S. government has perpetrated upon Native Americans. Quote, from the first day that settlers came to this country, the Native American people have been lied to, they have been cheated, and negotiated treaties have been broken, Sanders said. Quote, we owe the Native American people so, so much. Sanders thanked the Native American populations for preserving their culture and heritage and outlined the oppressive policies and broken promises indigenous communities have endured for hundreds of years. Quote, all too often, Native Americans have not been heard on issues that impact their communities. They have been told what to do. They have not been involved in the process, Sanders said to Cheers. Quote, the United States has a duty to guarantee equal opportunity and justice for all citizens, including our first Native Americans. And let us be honest and acknowledge that we are not doing that today. In true Bernie Sanders fashion, the Vermont senator let loose with a flurry of statistics detailing how much tribal nations have suffered at the hands of the U.S. government. Today in America, one in four Native Americans are living in poverty, and the high school graduation rate is 67%, the lowest of any racial demographic group. The second leading cause of death for Native Americans between 15 and 24 is suicide, and that speaks to incredible despair. One in three Native American women will be raped in her lifetime. Most of the offenders are non-Native. Most of the programs dedicated to the tribal nations are underfunded. That has led to inadequate housing, inadequate health care, inadequate education, and insufficient law enforcement. Today, Native Americans have a lower life expectancy and higher rates of uninsured than the population at large, and even those who have health coverage have, the difficulty, have difficulty accessing the health care that they need. Sanders promised right, to right those wrongs if elected president, given his recent U.S. Senate bill, the Save Flat Oak Act, which would return sacred Native American land previously sold to a mining company back to its rightful owners, Sanders has every intention of delivering on his campaign promise. The sacred places of our Native American communities cannot and must not be sacrificed for the profits of mining interests, Sanders said, to raucous applause. And next up from HuffingtonPost.com, another major union just endorsed Bernie Sanders. This is by Dave Jameson. A National Transit Workers Union threw its weight behind presidential hopeful Senator Bernie Sanders endorsing the Vermont Independent over Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton. The amalgamated transit union waited longer than most major unions before endorsing a candidate in the race for the White House. Union leadership said it had carried out a careful and deliberative process with union members before deciding to side with Sanders. Quote, the sincerity of Bernie Sanders and his long-standing fidelity to the issues that are so important to working people are what convinced us that standing with Bernie is standing with the 99% of America that has been left out of the mainstream public debate. 
cheated out of our jobs, and denied the true meaning of the American dream, Larry Hanley, the union's president, said in a statement. Since announcing their candidacies, Clinton and Sanders have had a long and protracted battle for the backing of organized labor. By any measure, Clinton is way out in front of the self-described Democratic Socialist. In October, she locked up endorsements from unions representing the majority of unionized workers in the U.S., including the largest public sector labor groups in the country. But a handful of progressive unions have broken with the pack and declared their support for Sanders. That includes Communication Workers of America, National Nurses United, and the American Postal Workers Union, and now the ATU. Many unions came out in favor of Clinton long before Sanders became a viable threat for the Democratic nomination. Before ATU made its endorsement, Hanley told the Huffington Post that union leadership had made a conscious decision to wait before backing any one of the candidates. Quote, we think campaigns matter, Hanley said. We think that until people campaign, you don't get a good sense of how they'll govern. In fairness to all the candidates and our members, we thought it was important that we wait and watch and hear what the candidates have to say and how they come out on positions. ATU represents 190,000 members working mostly in bus and rail jobs. As of December, the union's political action committee had raised $1 million for the selection cycle, according to data from the Center for Responsive Politics. The union's contributions have gone overwhelmingly toward Democrats. And finally, from thefiscaltimes.com by Mark Thoma. Controversy erupted last week when University of Massachusetts professor Gerald Friedman produced estimates showing that under Sanders' economic plan, quote, the growth rate of the real gross domestic product will rise from 2.1% per annum to 5.3%, so that real GDP per capita will be over $20,000 higher in 2026 than is projected under the current policy. The reaction from critics is exemplified by a letter from four former heads of the Council of Economic Advisors under Democratic presidents. Quote, as much as we wish it were so, no credible economic research supports economic impacts of these magnitudes. Making such promises runs against our party's best traditions of evidence-based policymaking and undermines our reputation as a party of responsible arithmetic. And that particular letter is a... a a month or more old, and I've mentioned it before, but uh, there's some additional information in this article that I thought was important. Defenders such as Jamie Galbraith, an economist at the University of Texas, argue that there is nothing, quote, magical or outlandish about the estimates. Professor Friedman used a defensible model to obtain his results. Quote, what the Friedman paper shows is that under conventional assumptions, the projected impact of Senator Sanders' proposals stems from their scale and ambition. When you dare to do big things, big results should be expected. The Sanders program is big, and when you run it through a standard model, you get a big result. If we implement policies that promote both public sector and private sector investment, it's possible to lift our long-run potential above where it is today. Actual output would then be chasing a moving target as we try to close the output gap. And we might be surprised at how much our productive, productive capacity, and hence our ability to provide jobs, can be increased. 
Narayana Chocherlakota argues, quote, that there are good reasons to believe that with the appropriate stimulus, it would be possible to achieve growth outcomes of around 5 to 6% per year for the next four years. But we won't know unless we try. The inflation risk is minimal, and we owe the households who have struggled so much during the recession and the long, drawn-out recovery the best possible chance we can give them of finding a decent job. And I think that's where Bernie Sanders' policies stand head and shoulders above the policies of any other candidate. His policies help the working class and help the the struggling and help the poor. You know, with $15 an hour, um, that money goes into the pockets of the working class and they spend it. Uh, it's not getting uh, gambled on the stock market to you know, take money to make money. Um, unfortunately, you know, someone at a minimum wage job doesn't have any money to uh, invest in those kinds of things that, that tie that money up. They're going to spend it. And the more spending that's out there in our economy, the more prosperous all businesses, well, I, maybe not all, the most pro, the more prosperous more businesses will become. You know, the, the greater the amount of money that uh, people make and people spend, um, it, it's a, it, it starts a strong cycle of, you know, the, the minimum wage worker earns their money and they take it and they spend it at uh, their local business and their local business earns that money and they take it and they spend it on goods and services, you know, to support their business. And it, it's a, a cycle that can really help grow the economy in significant ways. Couple that with Sanders, other plans for uh, stronger, higher education with uh, tuition free college and universities at public schools and couple that with his uh, plan for universal health care, which with a small tax increase for uh, most workers will get a huge return. You know, um, I saw online yesterday uh, a tweet that said, oh, Bernie Sanders wants to raise your taxes. Here's how much more you'll spend. And it showed, you know, a a lower income worker would spend, you know, or it would cost them another, uh, I don't remember the number for the, on the low end, but it would cost them a certain number of dollars per bi biweekly paycheck. And then you get up to someone in the $75,000, uh, range and it would cost them in the neighborhood of like $148 every, every two weeks, which sounds like a lot, you know, if you just look at it at face value, oh, you know, someone wants to take $148 out of my paycheck every two weeks. I feel that. I think that anybody, you know, earning at that level would feel that. That's a a, a fair amount of money to uh, to be taken out of your check. But then if you turn it around and look at the flip side, and add back in any of the money that you're spending on or that's being 
subtracted from your check uh, by your company, depending on how you get your health insurance. And, you know, for, for me, without a family, with just uh, myself and my wife, it's, it's about 200 bucks every, every two weeks that goes towards my insurance premium. And so just with that math alone, I would come out ahead, but you know, I don't know the exact number based on this particular study that, that, that was quoted in the tweet that would impact my, my pay rate precisely, but, uh, I would come out ahead, um, just looking at those numbers alone. And that's not near the total amount of money that I spend on healthcare every year. Deductibles are large. I'm thinking, you know, at least $2,000 a year for deductibles. And then you've got co-pays or um, co-coverage, coverage that's not 100%, you know, coverage of certain things that might be at 80% and not 100%. And and I'm I'm probably, you know, spending 5000 a year on top of my insurance premiums for healthcare. And, you know, I, I visit the doctor more often than I'd like. I have some, uh, certain conditions that, uh, keep me spending my money on healthcare, but I am far from someone who is, uh, severely challenged with, with health issues. Um, the Sanders universal healthcare plan benefits the vast majority financially benefits the vast majority of the people like 90% or better of, of the public will spend less money. will get more money take home after they pay some increased taxes to support, you know, to support the program, but then stop paying all of their other, uh, doctor and medical related costs. Um, I think the site PolitiFact, which does fact checking as well, estimated that the average taxpayer would save like 12 or $1,300 a year. Estimates from the Sanders campaign show those savings to be even higher, you know, in the neighborhood of $5,000 a year. Um, so there's certainly huge, huge financial savings to go along with, uh, with Bernie Sanders plans. And, you know, what, what would you do with uh, another thousand, another $2,000 a year in your pocket? Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I would spend it. I'm sure that I, uh, would, uh, spend it and essentially invest it in the economy. Um, you know, so Sanders has big plans and his, his big plans have the potential to have, uh, big positive results, big positive impacts and effects on our economy. So I know most of you probably won't hear this before the elections tomorrow in Arizona, in Idaho, and in uh, that other state, Utah. That's the one. Sorry, Utah. Um, 
But uh, if you do hear it before then, uh, make sure you get out to vote. Make sure you get your friends out to vote. And uh, it doesn't end there. There's uh, more contests coming up. And as I spoke about earlier in the program, you know, Bernie has a huge opportunity in the next several states to start to string together a series of wins. And if the campaign is able to do so, if we are able to deliver that for the Bernie Sanders campaign, then we've got a shot. And if we're unable to do so, if the, the turnout's uh, not as not as strong as it needs to be, and uh, Bernie Sanders does not start to uh, rack up some wins here, then it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to uh, happen. So let's make it happen. So uh, get out there, reach out, do what you can where you are to get the vote out and to uh, support the Bernie Sanders campaign. So that will wrap up this episode of Bernie 2016. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. If you want to check out the back episodes, go to Bernie-2016.com. And as we go out tonight, we will hear the Bernie Sanders boogie with lyrics written and performed by Ryan Rimkus and Amelia Stamsa. And I found this on the webpage of Cassandra Dara Abrams. So if you want to uh, take a look for it online, you can check that out. Thanks for listening. To the 1%, Bernie's for humanity, not establishment. He'll create more jobs and hide the wage. If you want public college, you don't have to pay. Equality, where every race and gender treated equally. He has integrity, not bought a soul. He won't flip flop like a man got sold. Wall Street throwing off your politics and bank of cheese. Let's hear it for the man who has your voice. If you want to be heard, you have no choice. Over Bernie. Can you feel the burn? If you want to get down, you need to vote for burn. Can you get down? Can you feel the burn? If you want to get down, you need to vote for burn. Can you get down? Can you feel the burn? If you want to get down, you need to vote for burn. Can you get down? Can you feel the burn?